so good that we can be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be together at this time, the last hour was so encouraging. As we spent time in singing praise to God, this congregation is blessed with a number of fine song leaders. And our hearts were certainly stirred up with love for our Lord as we, as we praise God together. I am not familiar enough with the congregation to know who the home uh, crowd is and who the visitors are, but I'm just glad to see all of you and thankful that we have the time to talk about these important issues. Uh, I've said today that studying these things should be a priority, and I'm so grateful to the elders here for making it a priority. These are the kinds of things that will help us to understand what we see on the 6 o'clock news, and we have tried in different presentations to address certain sort of key statements and key themes that we hear repeated again and again, and to test these according to what the Bible and the Koran say for themselves. I'm glad to see my brother Paul Burke uh, here this afternoon. He's been a co-worker, co-worker with me at Jackson Heights for the past four years, and you'll want to get to know him this afternoon because uh, he and his, his good wife Dana are going to be relocating to Puerto Rico next month to preach the gospel there, uh, a small work in a mission field, and, and they're going to be preaching the word there, and it's, it's a very exciting thing. I'm excited we can be together right now, and I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Of course, Psalm 119 is one that you have familiarity with if you're uh, much of a Bible student, for this is the psalm about the Word of God, about Scripture. But in Psalm 119, verse 89, we read the words, Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, your Word is settled in heaven. I appreciate a God who doesn't change with whims or moods, arbitrary fancy, and neither does His Word. When I consider Christians, when I consider Muslims, I see great devotion to their respective books. In fact, really, as I look at the habits of Muslims, I see perhaps a a greater uh, devotion towards the, the volume itself in their hands. Did you know that among Muslims, the Koran is supposed to have the highest position in the house? It's supposed to be kept up on a high shelf, a place of honor. That it is never to touch the ground, and so stands have been constructed to allow it to sit open on top of a table or on top of the ground so that it never touches the ground. They handle it with the utmost honor and respect. And I'll tell you that they really would teach many Christians a lesson about how you might think on the Word of God. For example, I was having a Bible study with a family in the Chapel Hill area a few years ago, and as I was studying with the mother and father, their son came downstairs. What are you doing, Dad? Well, well, we're having a Bible study. Oh, can I come too? Sure, son, go get your Bible. Oh, I know right where it is. We're using it to settle that one leg post on my bed. Remember, Dad? I'll go get it. That will never happen in a Muslim household. You wouldn't see a, a, a Koran kind of tossed around in the back seat of a car, sit there all week, so the sun kind of bleaches the one side of it, but the other side's brand new. You just want to see that. You want to see that. And that's one of the little things that as Christians we need to keep in mind when we're talking to uh, our Muslim neighbors, that when they understand something to be the Word of God, it is the utmost uh, respect. They have the utmost respect in handling it. They have a preconceived notion that the Bible is a lesser book, untrustworthy book, I'll tell you what, if we are uncareful or disrespectful with the way we handle the volume in their presence, that only undergirds this notion that it is a lesser book in their mind. 
that's something we need to think about how we handle our Bibles. We've said in this series, we've said in this series that what we're trying to do is open up the Koran and open up the Bible and just see what they say. Let these books speak for themselves. And so at this time, we want to turn our attention to the books. We want to explore the Bible and the Koran. We must be diligent in studying Scripture. But we must also heed the warning that there are false spirits in the world. And the most dangerous are those that are undetected. So let's begin, number one in your notes, by just making an introduction to the Bible and to the Koran. Let's talk first about the Bible. It is a book you, this audience, probably has greater familiarity with and just share some, some stats, some information about the Bible. And you can jot these down in, in the notes there as you, as you see fit. Uh, this is the book of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Bible comes from the word biblios, meaning book or the book. The Bible comes to us written by uh, 40 men, 40 writers were used over a 1,500-year period. And these men were mostly strangers. They lived in diverse geographical locations. When the Bible was first written, the original documents uh, were found to be uh, in a couple of languages. We'll talk about that in a moment. As you open up the Bible, you see that there's two sections, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Testament has 39 books to the New Testament 27. It was written in three languages originally, Hebrew, Greek, some Aramaic. And amazingly, despite the time span, despite the variations in authors, and amidst the toughest scrutiny that any document is known, it stands today without a single sustainable contradiction. We come to the Bible and we say with great, great confidence it is truth. Because truth does not contradict itself. The God of the Bible speaks the word of truth. According to John 17, verse 17, And Jehovah God of the Bible, He is not the author of confusion, but of peace. How, is it, how can this be? How is it possible to achieve such unity and message amid such a diversity of writers and time and space? Because none of the writers say they're original. None of the writers say, Hey, this is my idea. These are my thoughts. All of them say that it comes from the Holy Spirit. That it is inspired, breathed from the Holy Spirit. The Bible claims that God inspired it. 2 Peter 1, verse 20. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God breathed. The Holy Spirit moved. Thus its followers take it as the word, the will, the message of God to humankind. But what about Islam? What about the Quran? The word Quran itself means recitation in Arabic. And it is synonymous with word of Allah, word of God for Muslims. The Quran was written over a 20-year period by one author. It came in Arabic. And strictly Arabic, we'll talk about that for more or more in a moment. It came in separate surahs over this 20-year period, it claims, so that help, so that the followers could memorize it. Now, remember, we said earlier today that a surah then is kind of like a chapter of the Quran. It's made of 114 surahs, but this came piecemeal, bit by bit, over about a 20-year period. Surah 17, verse 105. We have sent it down with truth, and with truth has the Koran come down. And we have sent you only to give good news and to warn. We have divided the Koran into parts, that you may recite it to men slowly with deliberation. 
That is why we sent it down by degrees. And so here Muhammad says there's, there's reason why just a little bit comes at a time and a little bit more comes a little bit later on. It's so that you can learn it uh, and follow it in that way. But it came bit by bit, not all at once. Geographically, it was written in two locations, both on the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, it began coming, uh, according to Muslims, when Muhammad lived in the town of Mecca. And that is still the most holy site in Islam today. As he moved to Medina, why the revelation started coming to him in Medina. And so it came in those two places. Composed of 114 surahs, these vary in length. Surah is Arabic for revelation. And so the idea that each of these is a separate word of prophecy. There are 114 of them. They are not placed in the Quran in chronological order. Actually, they are placed in the Quran from longest to shortest. That's the reason it's put in there this way. Now, what happened was, as Muhammad first got started bringing the word and, and trying to preach Islam, the, the original messages were actually quite short. It was when he was the undisputed ruler of the peninsula that these long revelations came. And, uh, and so what happens is, even though it's lumped together, um, you know, from longest to shortest, that gives it almost a reverse chronological ordering in the book. The shorter things, the original things, are towards the back, the later surahs. Muhammad's revelation came by the angel Gabriel. Came by the angel Gabriel. Not the Holy Spirit. We talked about earlier today. They don't have a Holy Spirit. They don't believe in, in uh, Godhead. In Surah 2, verse 97, say, Whosoever is the enemy of Gabriel, who revealed the word of God to you by the dispensation of God, reaffirming what had been revealed before, and as a guidance and good news for those who believe. As the story goes, Muhammad is about 40 years old, and he is in Mecca. At this point in his life, he has some affluence and some security, and so he takes a month every year to go to the mountains outside of Mecca to pray and to fast. Well, in one of these times outside Mecca, up in the mountains, up in a cave, as he's praying and fasting and all alone, he was startled by the appearance of the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel didn't speak to him. Gabriel put his hands around his neck and began choking him, saying, recite, recite, recite. And Muhammad just coughed up, I have nothing to say. I can't speak. So he strangled him a second time, saying, speak, speak, recite. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. A third time, Gabriel manhandled him and choked him until finally he spoke forth a few verses. The first verses of the Koran. And that's how it began. And at different times uh, would happen throughout Muhammad's life. He wasn't choked every time by the angel. Sometimes he would go away for a while and come back with a new word. Sometimes he was accused of being epileptic. That he would have a seizure and then come back and, and speak a new word. Um, but it came degree by degree. And the first time he said it was coming from Gabriel. That is the revealer. Well, understand this. When we look at the Bible as well as the Quran, first about the Bible, the Bible claims to be the final authoritative revelation of God. When you come to your New Testament, this is the last bit of revelation that God Almighty, Jehovah God, is giving us. This is made very clear in such places as Galatians 1, in verses 6 through 8. The Apostle Paul speaks about the gospel message. You remember what Paul said uh, to the Christians in Galatians? He said, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who calls you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That makes it very clear, doesn't it? There's no more message coming after this. The gospel's the final revelation. And if we tell you something different, if we tell you something more, something less, if an angel does it, that's not from God. The faith has been delivered once and for all to the saints. Jude 3, final word of God. Well, the Koran is in very much the same situation. Saying that it came after the Bible and it is to be the final word, the superior scripture over all others. Initially, as you read the Koran, you don't see that it's supporting its uh, superiority over other scriptures or asserting that. It seems to be kind of an ex-logical progression. But the more you read, you see, no, this is supposed to be the last word, the final word. And we'll kind of go through that now. Surah 3, verse 3. He, Allah, He has verily revealed to you this book, the Koran, in truth and confirmation of the books revealed before. As indeed He revealed the Torah and the Gospel. Gave you the Old Testament, gave you the New Testament, gives you the Koran, and these things go right along together. Surah 2, verse 136. Say, we believe in God and what has been sent down to us and what has been revealed to Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac and Jacob and their progeny. And that which was given to Moses and Christ and to all the other prophets by the Lord. We make no distinction among them and we submit to Him. It's all just a, one big chain, isn't it? Surah 9, verse 33. It's He who sent His messenger with guidance and the true faith in order to make it superior to other systems of belief, even though the idolaters may not like it, well, this isn't the next step in the chain, is it? Now, now this is superior, superior to any other system of belief. In Surah 47, verse 2, those, but those who believe and do the right and believe what has been revealed to Muhammad, which is the truth from their Lord, will have their faults condoned by him and their state improved. You want to go to paradise? You need to believe what Muhammad said. His is the final and the proper revelation. Well, number two, the Koran is a later date revelation, isn't it? And we just might ask the question, why do we need a new revelation? Islam claims that Allah has revealed himself to two other groups of people before the Arabians. He revealed himself to the Jews. He revealed himself to the Christians. And since Allah had given them his word, his covenant, his book, they're called the people of the book. These are the people's former covenant with Allah. Surah 3, verse 3, He's verily revealed to you this book in truth and confirmation of the books revealed before. As indeed He revealed the Torah and revealed the Gospel. So if Islam is a universal religion and Allah has already revealed His Word by a book, by the Bible, the people are peoples, to the Jews and Christians, why do you need a new Word? Why do you need the Koran to be given to Gentile Arabians? Why? Why do you need this later revelation? We begin to answer the question by learning about the Islamic doctrine of tarif, the Arabic word tarif, which states the corruption of the Jewish and Christian scriptures. That the Jews and the Christians have disregarded and polluted their scriptures. They have corrupted Allah's word. Taught in such places as Surah 22, verse 52. We have sent no messenger or apostle before you with whose recitation Satan did not tamper. Yet God abrogates, that means cast away, cast into oblivion, abrogates what Satan interpolates when he confirms his revelations for God is all-knowing and all-wise. 
the Quran claims that Jews and Christians disregarded, they polluted their scriptures, they polluted Allah's words in several ways. The Jews, the Christians, they concealed the word of Allah. According to Surah 3 and verse 71, O people of the book, why do you mix the false with the true and hide the truth knowingly? You Jews, you Christians, you're, you're hiding Islam and your scriptures. You're concealing Allah's word. Not only did they steal it, they, they verbally distorted it. You're saying something different than what it actually says. Surah 3, verse 78, Among them is a section which distorts in reading the Scripture in a way that though it sounds like the Scripture, in fact it is not. And they lie about God. And knowingly, Jews and Christians doing this, why the Jews and the Christians, they don't believe the Word of Allah. Here's their impetus and why they do these things. Surah 2, verse 85, the second portion of the verse, Do you then believe a part of the book and reject a part? There's no other award for them who so act, but disgrace in the world and on the day of judgment the severest of punishments. For God is not heedless of all that you do. And of course, they're just plain ignorant of the word of Allah. And so Muhammad comes and brings some light and truth. Surah 2, verse 78, Among them are heathens who know nothing of the book, but only what they wish to believe and are only lost in fantasies. The doctrine of Tarif. Now, it hardly seems reasonable to me to write so extensively about the unreliability and the corruption of the Bible and then use the Bible as a proof that you are sent by Allah. But you know, that's exactly what the prophet Muhammad does. In Surah 7, verse 157, Muhammad said this, Those that follow the messenger, the Gentile prophet, described in the Torah and the Gospel who bids things noble and forbids things vile, those who believe and honor and help Him and follow the light sent with Him are those who will attain their goal. What? Allah said Muhammad's coming in the Old Testament and the New Testament? But you sure can't trust that Old Testament and New Testament. Surely it can't be both ways, can it? Islam claims that there's a new chosen people. Those are the Muslims. Remember, Islam means submission, and a Muslim then is one who submits. The Bible is unreliable, it's polluted according to the doctrine of Tarif, because Jews and Christians have spurned the word of Allah, they changed his scriptures, a new people are called. It's the Arabians, and they're called by the prophet Muhammad. And the Arabians responded, and so Muhammad gave them a religion. Muhammad gave them Islam, gave them submission. The word means submission. In Surah 5, verse 3, Today the unbelievers have lost every hope of despoiling your creed. So do not fear them. Fear me. Today I have perfected your system of belief and bestowed my favors upon you in full and have chosen submission, have chosen Al-Islam as the creed for you. You are one who submits. Submission is the way for you. And so you are given a name. You're given the name Muslim, one who submits. He named you Muslim earlier, Surah 22, verse 78. And in this Quran, in order that the Prophet be witness over you, and you be witness over mankind, and given their own book, given the Quran, now the right and pure and trustworthy form of Allah's revelation. Surah 3, verse 3. He has verily revealed to you this book. In truth and confirmation of the books revealed before, as indeed he revealed the Torah and the Gospel. Surah 10, verse 37. This Koran is not such a writ as to be composed by anyone but God. It confirms what had been revealed before and is an exposition of heaven's law without any doubt. It's from the Lord of all the worlds. 
until the Koran asserts its superiority over previous scripture. The Koran claims to be the best of histories. Surah 12, verses 1 through 3. These are the verses of the Immaculate Book. We have sent it down as a clear discourse that you may understand. Through the revelation of the Koran, we narrate the best of histories which you were unaware before. It claims its superiority to all systems of belief. Surah 9, verse 33. It is he who sent his messenger, this is talking about Muhammad, with guidance and the true faith in order to make it superior to other systems of belief, even though the idolaters may dislike it. And it was given in Arabic, with an understanding not to be translated. In Surah 26, verse 192, And this Koran is a revelation from the Lord of all the worlds, verse 195, in eloquent Arabic. Surah 16, verse 103, Yet we know what they say, it is only a man who instructs him. The speech of the man they imply is obscure, while this is clear Arabic. Even today, there is not an official translation of the Koran that has been made. It was given by all in Arabic, and the claim is still that to understand it and follow it truly, you need to read it in Arabic. So no official translation has been made. Now, that's not to say that translations haven't been made. You can get the Koran in any version, or excuse me, any language that you want. It has been translated. But the translations have been done independently and without any sort of official sanction. The one that I've been reading out of is, is called uh, Al-Quran, a Contemporary Translation by Ahmed Ali. And the reason why I chose to study out of it is that on one side of the page he puts the Arabic. And on the other side of the page he puts the English. And I thought, well, if you're going to do that, you must feel pretty confident about your translation. But I was talking to one of the brothers here this morning. He said, you know, I was following along in my Quran when you were preaching and uh, it's not written all exactly the same way. Well, I understand it's not. Of course it's not. Uh, each independent translator is working. Kind of like when you open up a New American Standard or NIV. I mean, they're translating the same things, but it might be worded a little bit differently. One of the things you do have to know in reading the Koran, though, is since it's independent translations, sometimes the numbering on the verses is a little bit different. So if you're following along with your own Koran and it's not exactly what I'm telling you, look at the verse before it or the verse after it. It's there. It's not a whole other chapter off. But this is because independent translations have been made. And that is necessary because of a mandate in the text, keep it Arabic. Think about that for a moment. And understand that a larger and larger population of Muslims in the world today do not know, do not read, do not speak Arabic. And so they are left only to gain the teaching by what their teachers, by what their mullahs are telling them. Superior, but it really needs to be in Arabic. How superior is it? Well, let's talk for a moment about this Islamic doctrine. The doctrine of the Jazz al-Quran, the uncreatedness of the Quran. The Quran is just like Allah. It's eternal. It's been there forever in paradise on these special tablets engraved forever. Uh, in Surah 85, verse 21, this is indeed the glorious Quran, Quran preserved on the guarded tablet. Caesar Farah wrote, it is a work existing for all eternity and unequaled. Muslims believe that the Quran is the divine eternal word of Allah. Just like Allah himself, it was never created. 
And that's when Muhammad recited, he recited the eternal words of Allah, which are inscribed on these tablets in paradise. The Quran is perfect. It is infallible. It is unchangeable. Surah 41, verse 41 and 42. Those who reject the reminder when it has come to them should know that it is a book in the oldest. Falsehood cannot enter it from any side. It's a revelation from the all-wise and praiseworthy God. Quite a claim. So, Muslims say there is no pollution, no falsehood, no contradiction in its pages. I'll make a couple of observations and we'll go to the third point. Allah, just to get it straight... <laughs> Allah allowed Jews and Christians to desecrate His Word for 600 years before sending Muhammad to straighten them out. Why? Why wait 600 years to do that? Allah gives people a universal religion in the Quran but limits the language of that religion to Arabic. Why? If it's universal, why just Arabic? If in 600 years' time, by the hands of men, the Bible was so abused and changed from its original state, to the extent that Allah had to reissue His Word in the Koran, what has prevented the Koran from being polluted by men's hands in the 1,500 years since Muhammad? If Allah allowed it to happen once, why couldn't it happen again? Why can't we trust the Koran, but we can't trust the Bible? And finally, to discover even one falsehood, to discover even one textual discrepancy, to discover even one contradiction within the Koran would be to outright refute this idea of uncreatedness and find that the book would just collapse in on itself. And so, in our third and final point this afternoon, we see that there are contradictions in the Koran. There are contradictions. The Koran does collapse. It cannot support such lofty claims as uncreated or perfect. There are contradictions in it. There are false statements in it. And these really come up as Muhammad tries to retell stories of the Bible. But here's a false statement in Surah 19, verses 27 and 28, retelling the story of the birth of Jesus. It says, Then she brought the child to her people. They exclaimed, O oh Mary, you have done a most astonishing thing. O oh sister of Aaron. Your father was not a wicked person, nor your mother sinful. What's the mistake here? He confuses Mary, Jesus' physical mother, with Miriam, Aaron's sister, and addresses her in this way. That's not the same Mary. In Surah 50, verse 38, We created the heavens and the earth and all, the lot, and all that lies between them in six days. And no weariness came upon us. You all have heard about a six-day creation, haven't you? That sounds similar to us, doesn't it? Or was it this? Surah 41, verse 9. Do you refuse to believe in Him who created the earth in two days? He completed them as seven firmaments in two days. And He assigned to each heaven its duty and its command. Surah 41, verses 9 and 12. Well, which was it? Did He make it in six? Did He make it in two I tell you, the biggest and most stunning contradiction in the Koran is really this question, who's going to be saved? Will it just be Muslims who get to go to paradise? Surah 3, verse 85 seems to tell us that. Whoever seeks a way other than submission to God, other than Islam, it will not be accepted from him, and he will be a loser in the world to come. Non-Muslims don't go to paradise. Or, 
chapter 2, verse 62. Surely the believers in the Jews, uh, Nazarenes, excuse me, the Jews, Nazarenes, Christians, and the Sabians, whoever believes in God in the last day and whosoever does right shall have his reward with his Lord and will neither fear nor regret. So I could be a Muslim or I could be a Christian and I could go to paradise. Which way is it? Dr. Farah points out that certain contradictions, and this is from Islam 6th edition, uh, allow scholars to discern where, when certain surahs were written in the prophet's life. Whether or not Allah has two daughters, these pagan Arabic goddesses, Al-Uzza and Al-Lat, or whether what we read in Surah 112 is true, that he has absolutely no children, period. There seems to be a shift in that teaching the longer Muhammad preached. And Dr. Farah says that these are honest mistakes. Since Muhammad is learning these biblical accounts by oral tradition, and that may be, but it seriously undercuts the notion that it's inspired work or a revelation from an angel if he can't get facts right because he learned them from oral tradition. And especially since the goal of this revelation is to set straight all those misunderstandings, all those corruptions that the Christians had made about Allah or God. And so what about these contradictions? How can this not trouble Muslims six days, two days? Muslims are saved. Everyone's saved. How can it not be troubling? It does trouble them. It does. But there's an answer for it. And the answer is found in the doctrine of abrogation. The doctrine of abrogation. I've been using this word a few times in these uh, services, quoting from the Quran where it's used. In such places as Surah 2, verse 106, when we cancel a message sent to an earlier prophet, or to throw it into oblivion, we replace it with one better or one similar. Do you not know that God has power over all things? You see, the Koran allows for Allah to say things quite contrary to previous revelations. It doesn't have to match up with what was said in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Because if Muhammad's saying it now, he's taking that other stuff and casting it away, and now he's giving you the truth. And then that way, Muhammad doesn't even have to keep it straight himself over the 20 years that he preached and taught. If it didn't match up later on, he could say, well, just listen to what I told you recently. I've cast those other things out, and now here is the truth. Even Muhammad seems to be wise to this weakness in the Quran. In Surah 16, verse 101, when we replace a message with another, and God knows best what he reveals, they say, you have made it up. Yet most of them do not know. It seems Muhammad saw that people would get wise to this. He's not saying a consistent message. And people are thinking, you must be making it up. No, 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 no. They, they don't know. Now Allah is telling me something different again. Well, I'll tell you, between Muslim faith that anything disagreeable in the Bible with the Koran is a Christian corruption, and Muhammad's built-in right to contradict himself with this idea of abrogation, it will be a challenge to persuade Muslims of the truth. But I feel so wonderful in loving and serving a God who allows himself no such convenience as abrogation. In Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We're not changing it. We're not revising it. In Matthew 24, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. John 10, verse 35, and the scripture cannot be broken. The whole pitch here with the Quran and abrogation is that, yes, it can, yes, it has been broken. 
Now we're going to straighten it up, and I don't even have to do that consistently. I can abrogate things. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. But then there's Allah who allows corruption of His previous revelation, as well as this built-in notion of abrogation. That clearly causes confusion. And I believe people can see that. This is another great difference between these religions. The true foundations they stand upon, the Bible or the Koran. And when you think about the foundation, whether it is strong or whether it is weak, determines how the structure stands, doesn't it? Take out your songbook, please, and turn to that number selected. As we conclude, I just want to look again at these words of the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit, inspired of God the Holy Spirit, in Galatians 1 and verse 6. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we are an angel from heaven, like Gabriel... We are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. I want you to just rest assured this afternoon that Jehovah God Almighty delivered his revelation once and for all. To deviate from it is to jeopardize one's soul. Not even the angel Gabriel can change his word. The Bible stands as the true word of God. It is that true word that you can be saved by. I want to read you from 1 Peter chapter 1, and then we will sing a song of encouragement together. It's 1 Peter 1 in verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. I wonder if there's one here this afternoon who needs to be saved by obeying that truth, by obeying that incorruptible, imperishable word of God, by being born again as according to its precepts confessing your faith that Jesus is the Son of God and being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. If you need to obey His Word for your soul's salvation, we'd ask that you would come forward and do it now. Together we stand and sing. Once you come forward now.